Welcome to episode 103 of the Civil Engineering Podcast, the first podcast dedicated to helping civil engineering professionals succeed in work and life. I am your host, Anthony Fasano. I am a licensed professional engineer who practiced as a civil engineer, but eventually decided I wanted to focus more on inspiring engineers rather than doing the engineering myself. So since then, I've written a book entitled Engineer Your Own Success and have traveled the world helping engineers. And through this podcast, myself and my co-host Chris Knutson try to bring you information that can help you succeed in your career. I've also had the honor of authoring the American Society of Civil Engineers Careers and Leadership column for the past few years. Now here's a short preview of this episode in which I'm bringing you with me behind the scenes of the recent Port Authority of New York and New Jersey conference in Midtown Manhattan. This was the fifth annual conference of its kind, which was presented by ENR. The conference serves to highlight new and existing construction projects in the New York City area. The Port Authority Board of Commissioners approved the agency's 2018 budget consisting of $3.2 billion dollars for operating expenses, and $3.4 billion for capital expenses. And really, this conference serves to help companies who want to work with Port Authority to learn how that process works. Now, here's a preview from one of my interviews at the conference. This is a preview from Keely Thibodeau of Landmark Consulting's interview, where she talks about something you should be aware of if your clients want to gain federal funding for damages to their property or projects from natural disasters. For example, there may be some deferred maintenance items or some other enhancements that the owner may want to see on a project. But in order for the owner to to get reimbursed from the federal government, the federal government's really only interested in those damages that are directly related or caused by the disaster event itself. And I think that that's something that um, is frequently overlooked. My co-host Chris and I both believe that in order to be the best civil engineer you can be, you must consistently get better. Get better at your craft, your people skills, and as a leader. And that's why we publish this free podcast to help you do just that. In this episode, as I mentioned, I'm bringing you with me to the Port Authority Conference where I will be talking with several guests to get their view on the state of infrastructure, but also tools and strategies that you can use on your projects. And we decided to make this a one episode extension of the infrastructure series that we previously did and we'll link to in the show notes for this episode. I covered a lot of interesting topics with these guests from smart landscaping features that serve as safe barriers to things you should know about disaster recovery when designing your projects, as I mentioned before. And we'll even cover a software that will help you to ensure that all parties on your projects are looking at the latest version of the project plans. And believe me, I know how important that is for my time practicing as a civil engineer. Before we get started and jump into these interviews, this is a free show and our sponsors help us to keep it free. So please support them. Now I'd like to recognize our sponsors for this episode. Firstly, Red Vector. Red Vector, a Vector Solutions brand, is a leading provider of online continuing education and performance support solutions for the architecture, engineering, construction, and facilities management fields. 
When you train with Red Vector, you'll be in good company with the other industry-leading organizations and professionals who have chosen to reduce risk, ensure compliance, hone skills, and meet their CE or PDH requirements. More on Red Vector later in this episode. And I'd also like to thank Red Vector for sponsoring our entire infrastructure series, including this additional episode. I'd also like to thank our other sponsor for this episode, PlanGrid. Do you feel disconnected from the field? PlanGrid can help. With PlanGrid, everybody works from the latest plans and documents. And because PlanGrid is so incredibly easy to use, everyone from the field to the office can collaborate throughout construction. This means immediate answers, less confusion, and a complete living as-built that makes turnover a snap. See for yourself why PlanGrid has been used on over 1 million projects and is loved by construction teams around the globe. Learn more and start a free trial today at PlanGrid.com. And you'll hear from Matthew Diesner a little later on from PlanGrid all about the application during our interview segment. All right, now let's head to the conference. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. All right, so I'm here at the Port Authority of New York, New Jersey Conference, and I'm speaking with Jonathan Berry from Marshalls LP North America. For over a century, Marshalls has been manufacturing and supplying superior hard landscaping products for roads, buildings, and open spaces. Jonathan is an experienced executive with a long and demonstrated history of working in the landscaping industry, the built environment and building materials industry. He's also skilled in landscape design, water management, traffic calming, street furniture, and natural stone. Jonathan, welcome to the Civil Engineering Podcast. Thank you, Anthony. I'm happy to be here. So we're here today, Jonathan. We're talking about construction projects. We're talking about infrastructure. And your specialty is landscaping, kind of the exterior of these projects, one of the exterior components. Our listeners are civil engineering professionals. Often they're designing projects, work on a lot of infrastructure projects. What do they need to know or what should they be thinking about in terms of landscaping with some of these infrastructure projects, whether it's new products or different things that maybe are you know, evolving and coming out? The question here is really, it's, it, for Marshalls, we've always been a design-led um, solution manufacturer, very much uh, a collaborative approach with our designers and engineers in the industry. And we've learned and evolved our products um, through this collaborative approach that rather than almost enforce what we think is the right approach, um, we've then evolved and developed our uh, products to fit what actually the market requires. And so with regard to defending the infrastructure, because at this point in time we're very much focused on the HVM, the hostile vehicle mitigation type of product, um, which defends public open spaces, uh, buildings and infrastructure and of course people from errant vehicles it could be granny who might have hit the wrong pedal or it could be someone with ill intent yes and so through that design-led approach rather than have just standard bollards like the the big dog or right. you know the tin soldiers right, right. we've evolved to become a more functional piece of furniture that defends the environment but it's a functional piece of furniture like a bench or a trash can, oh, I see. and so it is a functional, aesthetically pleasing piece of street furniture, 
but yet we'll stop a, a vehicle of it's like seven and a half tons. Disguise, kinda. Exactly. We call it hidden strength without a beauty. Okay. And but it's very much design led. So that's been our evolution from 2007 um, when we first started experiencing this type of um, phenomena in the UK and, and Europe. Sure. And that's very <clears throat> important, of course, when you're designing a project. You know, your clients, your end users, the owners of the property, whatever they may be, they're interested in the way it looks, of course. They're interested in the aesthetics, which is often kind of a source of, you know, struggle for engineering professionals because we want to make sure the design is, works, it's safe, it's conservative in certain ways. The owner wants to make sure that it looks good, it's functional, the people that come to their park or the, the road or whatever it is, they're happy, they like it, whether it's a government agency or whatever the case may be. So it's good to hear you say, Jonathan, that there, it's becoming easier to make things safe but not sacrifice on the aesthetic side of it. That's correct. And, and the other thing is, again, through evolution, as I said earlier, we started our journey in 2007. Um, we actually experienced a vehicle-borne attack on Glasgow Airport in Scotland. And the, um, it was a, a homemade bomb in a Jeep and was driven through the front doors of the departures lounge. So that was our journey and so the initial knee-jerk reaction is put big lumps of steel down and concrete blocks. Right. In actual fact they look very ugly, they often don't work and so the, the, the business owners and also the government preferred this softer approach yeah. that would give an aesthetically pleasing um, finish and look yet protect the building and the environment and the people travelling through that building. Um, without causing any alarm or distress. So we evolved and developed a range of furniture that kind of encompasses all of that. So it's a functional, it, it could be a trash can. Right. And so it's functional, you put your litter in it. Or, right, you as know, opposed to just a steel barrier. But if someone with ill intent would seriously, that seven and a half ton vehicle would be stopped in four and a half feet of impact. Yeah. So that is a real you know, hardcore piece of engineering, wow. yet a functional piece of furniture that aesthetically looks pleasing and won't distress any of the travelling public. And that's the way the British government has evolved, working with ourselves. And so you'll see planters, right. seats, So is that benches. something, you, was that a real project that you worked on? You came into the airport afterwards oh, yeah. and, you, and you redid it? With so, so we work a lot with airports, authorities, um, you know, facilities managers who will defend shopping malls, for example. You know, we do. We can do the big, like I said, the bollards, like everyone else, right. the, the row of tin soldiers yep. or the dog with the big teeth. Yeah. But sometimes it's functionally it works, aesthetically it doesn't quite look nice for maybe a shopping mall or an airport. Sure. And so we prefer to use planters and seats to do the same job. Hmm, interesting. And just from your experience, you know, recently, Jonathan, in terms of your products, do you see something that's very popular right now? What would you say are some of the more popular items that people are using on these kinds of projects? So again, very much design-led. It's a great question. What we thought would go really well here were the standard bollards and things like that, which they do. But our number one inquiry is for shallow mount. So most of these um, products go very deep into the ground. Okay. But we've developed a range of products that go, again, from the design-led approach, collaborative working with the engineers. Right. Certainly in cities like New York or Chicago, there's a lot of infrastructure and, and utilities below the, the surface of the sidewalk. I see. And you can only go down perhaps six inches before you hit anything. Ah. So we've developed a range of what we call shallow mount bollards and furniture 
that only go in the ground um, 5.98 inches Interesting. yet will still stop the seven and a half ton vehicle right yet we're also developing one that's three inch so for example around Empire State Building they only have four inch of coverage in the sidewalk yep so we can actually put a, a shallow mount vehicle crash rated product three inches in the ground and it'll still work so it, again it was an engineer-led product working around the, uh, the Javits Center for example in New York you come off 11th Avenue that has uh, I-beams that will take 8,000 pounds per square foot you move off the sidewalk it will only take 200 pounds per square foot in weight Right. So we've developed a range of products that will conform to that weight restriction, wow. yet still perform to the crash-rated K12 rating. Yeah, I love that. I mean, as a civil engineer myself, it's nice to hear that it's obvious that you're, like you said, you're working with the design professionals to create products that really work for them in their designs and for the, the end users, whether it's an agency or an authority or a private owner. So it's nice to hear that. Jonathan, anything you'd like to end us off with here in terms of something you guys have coming down the road or just something you want to say to our yeah, listeners? Absolutely. Just to resonate with what you're saying about a design-led approach and working with the professional uh, designers, we are a design-led manufacturer. We have in-house professionals. We have design engineers, product engineers who are own, in their own right you know, qualified engineers, but we stress that we're there not to replace the engineers and the designers. We're there as a support function to support these guys who are the professionals in the field, and we'll evolve our design and products around their requirements. That's so great. if you have any, uh, any requirements, any um, you know, projects that you want to uh, talk to us about, I'd be more than happy to, uh, to discuss that with your colleagues. Yeah, and you can reach out to Jonathan at jonathan.berry, B-E-R-R-Y, at marshalls.com. We're going to provide information on our show notes page for this episode. If you're working on a project, you need to look at some landscaping items for the exterior, some safety items for the exterior. Uh, Jonathan can definitely help you with that. So, Jonathan Berry from Marshalls, thank you for coming on the Civil Engineering Podcast. Thank you, Anthony. It was a pleasure to meet you. All right, now here at the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey Conference, I'm speaking with Keely Thibodeau of Landmark Consulting. Landmark Consulting is a limited liability company registered in the state of Louisiana, founded and headquartered in New Orleans in 1996. They offer boutique-style program and project management disaster recovery, which we're going to speak about, federal funding compliance and architectural services. Keely herself is a licensed registered architect as well as project management professional with 20 years of experience in the field of architecture, planning, program, project, and grants management. She has executive management experience with government-funded capital programs and large-scale portfolio management. Keely, welcome to the Civil Engineering Podcast. Thank you, Anthony. All right, so Keely, you're here at the conference. You do work with the Port Authority. You do work on these large, whether it's infrastructure types of projects, Mm -hmm. and one of your areas of specialty is disaster recovery. Yes. Which is what I'd like to talk to you a little bit about today. Our listeners are interested in these projects, usually from the design side, Mm -hmm. and I'd just like you to talk a little bit about what disaster recovery means today for the design side, uh, the designers in the AE industry when thinking about these projects. Sure. Typically when we um, advise clients on setting up projects, um, particularly on the design side, is that 
the disaster-related damages really need to be kept separate from the other damages that a designer may need in order to complete a project. So, for example, there may be some deferred maintenance items or some other enhancements that the owner may want to see on a project. But in order for the owner to, to get reimbursed from the federal government, the federal government's really only interested in those damages that are directly related or caused by the disaster event itself. And I think that that's something that um, is frequently overlooked. Um, mm. And what actually happens is that the designer fulfills their portion, they design the project, and then the owner has trouble getting reimbursed from the federal government because they can't tell the difference between the work that was um, directly related to the disaster and the other work that the owner elected to do at that time because it just made sense to make it all one project. So, oh, I see. so we, we try to try to get in there as early as we can to advise designers of that so that they may even to keep the scope of work separate. And so that's uh, something that a designer would have to know at the, at the, during the um, scoping phase of the project. So even during um, change orders or changes, um, as changes occur in the project, sure. they really have to be clear about the changes in scope and determine the cause of, of those changes in scope. So if it's directly related to the disaster itself, they find additional flood damage, for example, then the designer needs to make a note of that so that their compliance or grants management department can recoup the additional money from the federal government. That's really interesting. So basically what you're saying is when you're working on a project, let's say designing a project, it, it's better to have the project in separate components if you have a specific disaster, something related to disaster recovery or? Yes, so. For could you give us an example? Yeah, absolutely. So for example, I think that the Holland Tunnel Project was one of the case studies that we used um, when we developed our plan for the Port Authority there were certain line segments that were not disaster-related damage that were already planned um, as part of using regular capital funding, but there were other line segments that were clearly resulting from the flood damage. And I see. It made that project a much larger project. The agency wanted to recoup the funding from the federal government on those line segments that are directly attributable to the disaster. Right. And the drawing plans themselves need to make note of that. I see. So um, you have to really itemize the scope issues, of work. the scope of work, and yeah. the issues related to disaster recovery. So if you were to seek funding for that, it's very clear what it is. Exactly. What components of the project it's related to. Exactly. That's exactly right. Okay, that's great. Now, how do you, just you know, thinking about what you do, you get involved with maybe a design firm to help them with this, to make sure that they're itemizing it properly? Correct. So we typically work as an owner's rep, but we certainly can work with a designer to help them understand the program. Most capital projects, the owner gives you um, a, a basic scope schedule and budget, and the designer moves forward with their work. In a disaster recovery program, the biggest difference is that the scope of work related to disaster-related damages has to be kept separate. It's actually not based on cost. It's based on scope. The funding is based on scope, which is something different than you would normally do in in a regular project. Right. So if I'm the civil engineer, let's just say, and I work on a design project or an architect, Mm -hmm. and you're working with the owner, 
my yeah. client, is there a possibility you would then review my plans and yes. then bring them back to me and say, listen, this is what we need to do in terms of itemizing? Yes, absolutely. Okay. So it. we would help the designer um, just make the notations clear on the plans. And this is throughout the life cycle of the project, including the cost estimate, including um, the plans, the specifications to really sort of keep those things separate. And then the real reason for it is at the end of the day, the owner's gonna be audited for the, how the federal funds were used. Sure. And the federal government wants to make sure that the money that was given was used for the purpose That's for great. which the money is for. All right, so I hope that this was helpful for you. Disaster recovery is obviously something with you know today's weather. I mean, as we speak, there's a massive hurricane that's coming here yeah. to our East Coast. So this is something that has to be really at the forefront of your mind as designers now, as we move forward, thinking about disaster recovery. And the more you are aware of it, it's obviously better for your clients because yeah. you can itemize things and you know maybe have someone like Keely to help you do that. So again, this we're speaking here with Keely Thibodeau, owner of Landmark Consulting. Keely, I want to thank you for spending a few minutes with us here on the Civil Engineering Podcast. Thank you. All right, now at the Port Authority of New York, New Jersey conference, I am speaking with Matt Diesner from PlanGrid. PlanGrid builds simple, powerful software construction teams love to use. The company's mobile-first technology gives general contractors, subs, owners, and architects access to information in real time, enables great collaboration, and provides actionable insights. With PlanGrid, any construction team member can manage and update blueprints, specs, photos, RFIs, field reports, punch lists, and other information from any device. Again, I'm speaking with Matt Diesner here. Matt is the regional sales manager for New York. Matt, welcome to the Civil Engineering Podcast. Thanks, Anthony. Great to be here. So, Matt, before we jump in here, tell us a little bit about what you do for PlanGrid. Yeah, so I'm the regional sales manager here in New York City and really providing resources to folks that are interested in looking at PlanGrid and providing value to them by uh, helping them deploy the software. And my background actually isn't in construction. It's a software background. I came from salesforce.com prior to this and okay. Xerox prior to that. So really my background is around uh, automating business processes. Okay. And uh, I came to construction uh, because you know, my brother actually works in construction as a project manager. And I thought there was really a great opportunity to apply some of those skills to uh, what I found as being a little bit of an archaic workflow on the project side. So it was sure. very exciting for me to, to come to Plank. Sure. I mean, I'm being a civil engineer myself. I know that obviously our projects have a lot of people driven components. So you're not going to automate those types of things, but there are many things on projects that can be automated. And one of the things that we're going to talk about with Matt today is project documents, because sure. project documents can be a huge source of challenge, a huge source of errors, miscommunications, scope creeps, etc. if everyone is not on the same page and using the same documents. Yeah. So maybe you can talk about that a little bit and some of the things you guys are doing to help to alleviate that challenge. Yeah, absolutely. So I think one of the biggest challenges is version control of documents. For example, when a new revision comes out of a drawing, how do you cascade that out to the field all the way down to the subcontractor level? Right. And the way that's done today is, is really through email or like a file server, uh, Dropbox type of thing, um, which leaves an opening for human error, sure. which could lead to rework and, and things like that that's going to slow down the project and 
really reduce the margins for the folks that are managing it. So what PlanGrid does is we actually have a system that um, allows a simple upload of revisions. It will read the title block, and if it's a new revision, we'll leaf it in on top of the older version, and then actually push that out to the entire project team. So if you're a foreman in the field, you know, without having to check your email or, or Dropbox or whatever, you can wake up in the morning, theoretically, go to the job site, open up that drawing, and it's you know it's the most it's recent. Right there. It's yeah, the most recent. Absolutely. That's great. And I know just from working on projects myself in the past that that can be frustrating when you're talking on the phone with someone and they're looking at a different set of plans than you and you're trying yeah. to work something out or work at a dimension or a material or something along those lines. So that's great. And talk about implementation of this. Are you, yeah. Do you guys help? Are you involved in the projects, getting feedback from people on how it's working? Yeah, so it's really about training because PlanGrid is meant to be self-managed. Okay. You do not need to be technical at all to deploy the software. It's, it's software as a service. It's cloud-based. Okay. We have apps for uh, iOS, Android and Windows, so you can just download those from the appropriate uh, areas online. So the app pushes out the versions. The Once app is the, the, the app is how you access it in the field. Okay. Yes, and uh, the way that you would, uh, for if you're an administrator, you would use our portal, our web-based portal, uh, for like a browser or something like that. But it's a very simple drag and drop process. And then again, we have an OCR uh, technology that reads the title block. It will index the drawings also by trade. So if you need to filter out ground floor architectural drawings, you can do that very simply and easily by, by those uh, tags that are applied automatically. And do you get feedback regularly from the users? And how does that work in terms of yeah. whether you have to improve it or whether how it's working? Yeah, that's a great question. So we work very closely with our customers. Our product team is great about receiving feedback. In fact, we have a generic email address, features at playinggrid.com, that accepts any and all suggestions and you know we frequently meet with customers trying to improve the product and I, I would say we iterate meaning we we offer new updates to the product and features every several weeks oh, wow. yeah so it's very responsive to customers in that respect that's great what are some of the things that you've heard from customers just feedback in terms of what's how it's helped them yeah. with their projects can you share some of that sure sure so I would say ease of use construction industry has traditionally resisted technological adoption right. and it's because you know folks have been doing things for so long with paper etc so there's a little bit of hesitation there but once they pick up the app it's so intuitive that they really become our biggest proponents within a couple of weeks. And I'm talking about down to the foreman and super levels. Oh, wow. So this yeah. is everybody on site. From, yeah. It could be an architect and engineer in the office to the people on the site, to people that are taking site inspections, anybody. Absolutely. And I would even add to that that because it's so easy to use, that's actually driving adoption in general in the field. Right. You know, so... They want uh, something easy. They want something easy. They don't want to have to think about it too much. Right. And we try to map the process to their existing workflow versus you see a lot of times the softwares, if they're not deployed correctly, people have to change their workflow to accommodate the software. Okay. We don't want that because then that becomes a challenge in and of itself. Okay. That's great. I mean, listen, if you're working on projects out there as a listener mm -hmm. and you have issues with contractors because they're looking at the wrong plans, you constantly have to get on the phone with them, you gotta drive out to the site because you gotta show them the right plans, something like this can be very helpful because if you can get the construction team on board, 
and you're able to upload the latest plans from your computer, bam, just makes, I'm, th I'm thinking it's going to make your life a lot easier as a designer. So, once again, I just want to thank Matt Diesner for coming and spending a few minutes with us here at the conference on the Civil Engineering Podcast. Um, if you want to reach out to Matt, we will link to his information in the show notes for this episode, but also his email is matthew.com. Diesner, D-I-E-S-N-E-R at PlanGrid.com if you have questions about the app, the software, the tools. And uh, again, Matt, thanks for spending some time with us. Thank you for having me, Anthony. All right, next up at the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey Conference, I'm really excited to be talking with Maxine Hill, New York Area Manager at WSP USA. At WSP USA, their expertise lies at the intersection of the infrastructure and the skylines they have helped to shape from coast to coast, which is what we're talking about today. They can meet your needs with cross-disciplinary services across multiple sectors and markets, including advisory, buildings, water and environment, energy, and transportation and infrastructure. Maxine herself has 25 years experience in the design and construction industry, 20 of which are in the management of transportation projects successfully delivered numerous complex multidisciplinary projects for P3, design build, and design bid build schemes. Maxine, welcome to the Civil Engineering Podcast. <laughs> Thank you. It's good to be here. So we're here today at the Port Authority of New York, New Jersey Conference. Obviously, the topic here is construction projects, infrastructure. You're an area manager with WSP. You're working on a lot of big projects, I'm mm -hmm. sure. Our listeners are, of course, civil engineers. They're working on design. They're working maybe in the field on these projects. From a big picture perspective, being that you work on some of these bigger projects, you work for a large firm, what are you seeing in terms of infrastructure projects that's either different or, you know, things that people should just be aware of today or kind of what's going on out there? Okay, well, it's, it's a very exciting time at the moment um, in the engineering and construction business. You know, there's, there's so much work here at the moment, lots of really exciting projects, you know, big projects, but also lots of small projects. A lot of the agencies that we work with here in New York, particularly have big programs of work to you know improve the infrastructure and the city and the region but you know one of the big changes that we're seeing is is the procurement methodology mm. you know all all these agencies are embracing design build embracing alternative ways of doing it and that's a change for everybody you know traditionally here everything's been design bid build where companies like WSP have worked directly for the agencies right. to, to do that design you know, and now we're seeing a move towards design build. So for engineering companies, it's an interesting position because we can work for the owner sure. and do like the preliminary engineering or we can choose to go work for the contractor. But the thing that's different for everybody in that situation, not just the designer and the contractor, but for the owner as well, is that you, you want to do it faster, you've got to do it quicker, but you've got to work together differently. And, and pace is something else that is a real differentiator now. Sure. You know, we've got to be able to do what we do, but do it ever more quickly than we faster. used to do before. Yeah. Do it faster all the time. Obviously, the quality has to be maintained. So for, you know, engineers that work for firms like ours or all firms, you know, being able to deal with that pace and being able to deal with different clients is something that we've all really got to get our arms around because it's not going away, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the pace of things is making it more stressful for engineering firms and professionals because obviously what we do is you can't mess up. I mean, these are people's lives are at stakes. So now that you have to do things quicker, 
really makes it more on the manager and on the teams to deliver, you know, to work better together, which we're kind of going to transition into talking about next. But I just want to, just back to what you said, you know, these are things as designers that you need to think about is the procurement processes and the delivery processes that if you want to be a well-rounded engineer, it's not just about understanding the calculations and the different materials that are out there today, but it's also understanding how the projects will unfold and how they'll be delivered. So Maxine makes a really good point that you need to think about these things. And can I just add to that? I mean, as well, you know, it's also about understanding, I think, the full the whole process. The best engineers are ones who understand, you know, what's important to the client, what's important to the contractor, and how, what information they need when they need it, because they need information for different things. When we work for agencies, we concentrate on doing a hundred percent design. Right. When you work for a contractor, they are interfacing with you constantly. They need procurement documents that has to be done at the earliest stage. Sure. So making sure that you know our teams understand that there are these different needs depending on the client, even though you might be designing the same thing. You know, it's something you've also got to really understand. So understanding, you know, how construction works and what contractors need versus how agencies work and what they need is, you know, a key skill that, you know, the best engineers kind of understand that and can respond to that. But you're right, it, it comes down to management. You know, it's all about communication and expectations as well. Absolutely. So let's jump into that. You wrote an article on LinkedIn called Not a Checkbox Exercise in terms of kind of project management. And I'm going to just read a quick couple sentences here from it. When you consider the phrase project manager, it is easy to forget that the word manager means not just the management of the process, but also covers the management and leadership of a team of people. Indeed, we can follow a process and check every box and claim that the project was delivered on time and within budget, but ask the team that delivered your project and they may claim that you are an okay project manager. Why? Maybe because of the people side of it. So I really like that a lot because I think as engineering professionals, sometimes we get really tied to these checklists and this idea of we did this, we did that, we checked the plans, we checked the CAD, we did this. And we're forgetting that there's a people side of the project and really great managers work well with people. So maybe you can speak to that a little bit and your experience yeah, sure. with that. And I think it is key, you know, and for me, you know, the reason I wrote that article was because process is really important. You know, the quality of what we do, you said, you know, what we do, it matters that it's right. And that it's, but process for me is, is, it's something that supports the outcome. We don't do engineering to fill out forms. Right. And to, you know, that what we're doing is we're creating a design that's going to be constructed and the forms and the process and the, and the bureaucracy, if you like, are there to support it. But they cannot and should not be the sole reason and and that's that's something that we can fall into which you know I try and pull it back but so for me it's about the people it's not you know project managers have responsibility for making sure all those processes are kind of taken care of right but as I said you can do all of that and not have a great project whereas you can be okay at that stuff I would claim myself in that category but be a much better project manager because you know, at the end of the day, a project, what we do is projects. You know, it's WSP, that's what we do. Right. And we always say like 85% of our assets walk out of the door every night. Right. That's a pretty risky place for a company to be. So we, we need those people and we need their expertise. But when you're managing a project, you're pulling those people together. It's about making sure, you know, people are good engineers, but the things that go wrong on our projects are, you know, where we don't communicate with each other. So the project manager's job for me, or the manager's job, is to, is to care about the people. 
right. make sure the people are looked after, you know, they feel engaged, they feel involved, such that, you know, they're talking to each other. And, it, and I just think it creates a great project. You know, the pace that we talked about earlier, this, right. the fact that we've got to do things faster now, these things become even more important. Right. Um, people get stressed stressed, so they need to you need to create that kind of community that engagement because you know some of the projects we've worked on I'm in total admiration of you know the stress and the determination the hard work that goes into creating deliverables and you can't make people do that. Right. You can, you know, you can they only ask. They have to want to do it. They have to want to do that bit. And so, creating that culture where people are engaged with you and engaged with the project and have that determination to see it through is really, for me, what the project manager's main focus is. All these other things, you know, the financials. That's obviously vital. Right. You know, making sure the quality is done. But if you don't, if you don't look after the people right. then the rest Nothing's you're never going to achieve the rest of it did you write that article because you see that as a challenge for many engineers was it something that you saw or was it just something that was important to you it's something that's important to me that the reason i wrote it was that um last year i took part in a few events talking about project management specifically okay one an, inter- an internal project management academy where I, I, I concentrated on soft skills. And then I also took part in a virtual project management day last year, where again, where I spoke to the soft skills. And even though it's always been important to me, I was really amazed at the reaction that I got. Right. And so it kind of, it just occurred to me that this is something that a lot of people really wanted to hear about. Right. And we're really interested in oh, yeah. because we focus a lot. We're engineers, right? Yeah. So we focus in on the technical. Everyone's very practical. So it just seemed yeah. to me a, a side of our business that, that there was um, a lot of interest in, which yeah. has no, kind of prompted me to do it. And we know that, I mean, just from whenever we do engineering management training, there's always so much interest because people are like, oh, engineers need the management skills, you know, but it's hard for them to find them. So that's like one of the questions I want to get here as we start to wrap up is. Okay, someone's listening to this podcast, they're a young civil engineer, young project manager, whatever the case may be, and they're hearing you and they're saying, thank you, I get it now that i got to work better with people, right? How do I do that? <laughs> How do I work on those skills? So I think you've got you've to treat people as individuals, you've got to respect people, and, you know, things that I was always taught, you know, my background's actually in construction. You know, and so a lot of the lessons I learned then I still carry with me today. And you know, one of the key ones, and I think I put it in the article, was that you know I was always taught that my job as the project manager was to go out there and make sure that everybody else felt better about what they did. Mm, that's great. Even if I was having the worst day ever, like that right. stayed in my office. Right. My job was to go out there, check in with people help them solve problems and, and make sure that they felt better about what they were doing. And that for me is just like a core, core thing. You know, you particularly as you get to on bigger and bigger projects, you rely on so many people. Right. No nobody can do this on their own, not even on the tiniest project. There's always a group of people right. involved. So you've got to manage that group of people. They've got to be important to you. You've got to treat them You've got to treat them well. You've got to help them sort stuff out. You know, I, I believe very few people come to work to do a bad job. Yeah. And so, but we all make mistakes. Sure. And yeah. so having that communication and actually being able to talk to people about what are their real issues, how can we solve it, how can we move forward, rather than just throwing stones. And, and yet, that gets nobody anywhere. It really doesn't get the job done. Right. 
Yeah, um, I think you nailed it with that quote about, you know, making sure that everyone on the team feels good about what they're doing. I mean, I think, you know, if someone asks, like, you know, how can I, what should I focus on with my people? I mean, that's just a great way to that answer. Really. I mean, it's a hard question to answer, but that really sums it up nicely. You know, focus, and that's what I always tell people too, is a lot of times engineering managers, we get caught up in our own checklist. And then we get like into the weeds on it and we have people that maybe sitting in their office not doing anything or they're stuck on something because as the manager, you gotta make sure that they're moving and they've got everything they need on a regular basis and check in with them. And if you're not doing that, if you're too focused on yourself, then you might have three people that are ineffective and, and you might get your couple things done, but like Maxine said before, the project as a whole is not gonna happen. And I'd say as well, also, you know, you need to find time for people which can be hard. But, you know, if people want to come by, I always think being a project manager, you know, it's kind of like some of it is almost like a little bit like being a counselor right. and, and a teacher, you know, and, you know, because people, sometimes people just need to vent. Yeah. So it's also about creating a safe environment where people can come in and just, and just talk to you about just, what's on their mind. And half the time they don't even need advice or they don't want a decision. They just need to express to frustration. Yeah. And then they'll be like, okay. And then they can just wander off, and you know. So it's 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 being you know having the door open so that if people do need to do that, they can come and talk to you. They can come and ask. And knowing, and and I think one other thing as well, the the other thing I would like to to say to everybody, another important tenant is that as the project manager, is at the end of the day you are accountable for the project, and that means that you take whatever comes. So if if somebody on the project has made a mistake. Your job as the project manager is to own that. Mm. You never throw anybody under the bus. Your job is to stand in front of your team because as the project manager, you also take the glory, right? If it's an amazing project, you're going to be the one up bar on the stage receiving awards and taking the glory. But your job is also, if things go wrong, is you've got to own that as well. You do not throw people under the bus. You might go and have a conversation, you know, off to the side, but you never, ever to your clients, to other people, you don't throw people under the bus, you protect your team, and your job is, is to kind of take those hits, yeah. so if something if something's gone wrong, you're still, you still own it, right. even if there's 500 people working for you. Right, and that goes back to what you said before, think about how that's going to make your team feel, right? I mean, if they have some manager that's out there kind of protecting them and, you know, passing even praise on to them for a project, it gets the respect. That's where the respect from comes that you really need to take control. Well, Maxine, thank you for spending some time with us. Again, Maxine Hill, thank New you York for Area me. Manager for WSP. Is there any parting words for these engineers out there working on these projects in these times? <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> stressful times. Good luck. <laughs> Talk to each other. Eat cake. Find time. Find time to um, celebrate the, the small successes. Right. Enjoy it. And good luck. Great. Thanks so much, Maxine. Thank you so much. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. I hope you enjoyed tagging along with me to the conference for these interviews during this episode. I really did enjoy it. There was a lot of energy at the conference and talking to different kind of design professionals and managers and construction professionals. It was just different for me than being in the studio. And I hope that you found some value in it. Before we close out this episode, I do once again want to thank our sponsors for this episode. Remember, our sponsors help us to keep the Civil Engineering Podcast free, so please support them. Again, firstly, Red Vector. 
the team at Red Vector has crafted the ultimate training subscription for engineers with the AEC Pro subscription satisfying continuing education requirements is just the beginning. Take a deeper dive into your field of study and advance your career. Gain unlimited access to nearly 1,500 courses regularly updated with new content as well as license management tools to renew over 400 licenses and certifications, all starting at $399. Plus, when you purchase now, you'll receive a $100 credit towards an Engineering Management Institute online workshop. To learn more, visit www.redvector.com. I'd also like to thank just once again, PlanGrid. If you do feel disconnected from the field, you want to make sure that everyone's working from the latest set of plans and documents. You heard Matt speak about it in his interview. That's exactly what PlanGrid can help you do. It's so incredibly easy to use. Everyone from the field to the office can collaborate throughout construction. This means immediate answers, less confusion, and a complete living as-built that makes turnover a snap. See for yourself why PlanGrid has been used on over 1 million projects and is loved by construction teams around the globe. Learn more and start a free trial today at PlanGrid.com. Once again, you can find all of the summaries of the interviews for this episode at CivilEngineeringPodcast.com, episode 103. There, we'll do a little bit of a summary. We'll include everyone's names and their contact information in case you wanted to follow up with them. And I hope you like these episodes from time to time where I do go on the road to conferences because I feel like I can get kind of a lot of different kinds of information for one episode and we'll continue to keep them up. But if you want to let me know what you think, just email me afasano at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. Thanks again to ENR for allowing me to come to the conference and do these interviews. And until next time, I wish you the best in all of your civil engineering career endeavors. Thank you for listening to the Civil Engineering Podcast. Be sure to visit civilengineeringpodcast.com where you can listen to past episodes and also submit your project to be featured on the show. We also invite you to visit our main website at engineeringcareercoach.com and download a free three-part video series created specifically for engineers to help you best utilize LinkedIn for networking, improve your communication and speaking skills, and also help to develop your leadership abilities. Now is the time to engineer your own success. 